Welcome to the Disruptors podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. In this series, we bring you interview discussions with industry expert thought leaders to share with you their views, opinions and predictions. We hope by listening to this series, you'll pick out the underlying message and start to think outside the box. Gemco agree that the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, we have always done it that way. So we want to disrupt the industry and we believe that the way to developing true intelligent buildings is by building intelligence. My name's Alan Jones, so I operate a BMS consultancy, Federal Controls. Been running this for about 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, background of M&E design, never really been a, a BMS specialist or worked for a BMS contractor, so I'm not biased mm-hmm. by anybody's ideas, sure. just my own ideas. Um, and I just really enjoy it. It's yeah. just sort of job that you just keep going at, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure, sure. You know, engineering is a job that makes us all interested. You're never going to stop engineering, are you? No, absolutely, absolutely. And BMS, to me, goes right through the whole of a job. Got his fingers in every pie. Yeah. So you get to understand exactly what's going on for yeah, sure, sure. You're not going to be a specialist in a boiler or a chiller or an air and employee. You need to understand them all. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes BMS interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would completely agree with you in that comment, and that's interesting for me. So and from a, a consultant's perspective... When you say that BMS system goes right through, you know, and reaches every part of the system, but then when we think about how um, how complicated BMS can be, uh, and one of the reasons for that is there are so many different products and systems and solutions out there. How on earth, as a consultant, do you keep abreast of that, and how do you make sure that you're keeping it simple? Right, because yeah, there are lots of solutions. But in the end, it's a simple, the, the only personal purpose for our BMS is to say the room is cold, the room is warm, heat it or cool it. Absolutely. And that, in the end, is all you're trying to do. Sure. Now, you can have some very sophisticated apps, some very sophisticated wall sensors, some very sophisticated, whatever you want. But in the end, all you do is try to get up and ball. Yeah. Sure. And, and, and rooms don't change that quickly, you know, half an hour for a room to change. Mm-hmm. So a BMS doesn't have to act very fast. Sure. So sometimes when people say, well, let's have a DDC controller that does it very quickly, well, what's, sort of, what's the point? And this, that's one of the dangers of a BMS these days is it's, it's, it, it's gone in two ways. It's, it's, it should be a simple system, but now it's becoming extremely complex mm-hmm. because, as you quite rightly say, there are so many different solutions. Mm-hmm. And the BMS person is being dragged from simple solutions into the much bigger complex solution of trying to stick together all these third party yeah. ideas. Yeah. And and that's real complicated because an M and E contractor very often will say, I am definitely going to use a chiller from XYZ, mm-hmm. I'm going to use an air handling plot for these people. And some of these kit come with inbuilt controls which are which the cost of the controls is lost in the cost of the machine. So the BMS man is now becoming a stitch together, yeah, an integrator. Sure, sure. But writing a BMS spec is very hard. So you, if I was to write a BMS spec around a chiller and then suddenly they buy another one because the main contractor says it's cheaper or more efficient, and, it, and that's what he does. And now whatever control I wrote around A won't work on B. Yeah, sure. So I've got to write something that's a bit more generic. If I could be confident that 
they were definitely going to buy this chiller and definitely buy that boiler. Then I could definitely write a control specification to join it, but it's impossible. Yeah, sure. And I've got to assume that people who are BMS specialists are going to be able to twist around a little bit. So as long as I give you some rules and regulations that says these are the things I want, and you've priced it when you've done pounds per point or engineered it, however you've done it, you've got a lump of money to mm -hmm. solve a project. And all I'm trying to do in a BMS specification is to take away as much risk so that you've got more certainty. Mm -hmm. So the bit of uncertainty is not too big and you can manage that. But then, because you've got certainty in cost, when the contractor changes something, you know exactly where you've got to change. Sure. You're not cherry picking something from somewhere else. So it is tricky. And I, I write a BMS specification, never mention anybody's name, yeah. because I think you can all do the same. Some clients want a particular supplier for whatever reasons. But in the end, they'll all do the same. Sure, sure. So it, BMS has got its fingers everywhere because without the BMS, all these other disparate systems are never going to work. And you'll spend all your life putting them right. And we do. <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> that's what happens on jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I couldn't agree more. And so, one of your core goals then, when you write spec, is to de-risk the project. How do you? How can how can somebody manage that de-risking process throughout the kind of? You know the procurement and the, and the supply channel because it's incredibly difficult as you said if the main contractor who in my opinion in many instances has more power than they should if they make a decision actually we're going to use that boiler because it's cheaper or we're going to use that chiller because it's cheaper or whatever that can potentially um you know have have huge implications to the specification you've developed so how, how 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 do we as a you know in this industry especially how do we how can we manage that through the through the process a bit more cooperation between people right less confrontational and and people admitting that perhaps they've made a mistake. Mm. You know, there's nothing worse than a, than a, a contractor saying, I want to buy this piece of kit, but I specified another piece of kit. Mm. And subsequently, I've discovered that perhaps the bit of kit I specified wasn't quite right, for whatever reason, I don't want to change. And they're unable to change. They feel as if they're up against a brick wall. And, and you think, well, just change. Yeah, sure. Just, just admit you're wrong. It's not an admission of guilt. It's not an admission of error. It's just a... You, Developed, designs have developed, yeah, things have changed, yeah. and, and change it, Making it and take away that project. issue. And if you take those issues away, that cooperation, everything is easier. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we find um, that we'll get a specification, we'll ask some queries on the project, and at a very early stage, and we'll say, can you just check what they mean by this? Because we know what there is available and facilities and capabilities of certain pieces of kit. Can you just go and check? But they're very reluctant to go and check. I don't know if it's whether they don't want to feel like they don't know or... They don't want to know. They, they feel that they don't want to know. They, they think they know best. That's one reason. Another reason is they feel they haven't got the time or the money. They're not being paid. They're on the reduced remits. You know, gone are the days of having lots of money from the consultants. So they're, they're under just And they don't want to change. And, and they're almost to the point of thinking, I don't want to be seen shown up, but they're not being shown up. If they said, let's change, nobody's going to criticise them. Nobody's ever criticised anybody for changing their mind. Sure. 
After all, we've, we've never really made a mistake in engineering. We might not be perfect at every job, mm -hmm. but we get the jobs done, you get the jobs finished. You know, I always heard this analogy of when you're at school, if you, if you get an O-level, you need 40%. You get an A-level, you need 60%, you do really well. You get a degree, you got 80%, you do really well. You get to work, unless you get 100%, then you're a failure. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, how can that be? <laughs> because at 80%, I was a brilliant, I got a first. Sure, sure. <laughs> but at work, I didn't get 100% on failed. And, and that's, not, that's really unfair. Mm. But people are scared. Yeah, that, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're not, you know, they know their stuff. Yeah, they do. They really do. <laughs> They're just scared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of, as if someone's going to trip them up. But the man who runs the job, he goes to Sainsbury's on a Saturday morning as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. He's not God, is he? No, absolutely. He might shout at them, but so what? <laughs> so you've, um, so it's fair to say you've been in the industry a while. Quite a long time. Um, how would you say? the industry has changed over that period from when you first got involved to, to where we are now. Well, apart from the simple fact it's gone from analog controllers to DDC, that's one thing. A lot of other things haven't changed. Jobs are just as complicated. Um, the biggest change has been time. Mm -hmm. Jobs now take half the amount of time that they did 25 years ago. And What's driving that? What's driving that? I don't know, money, I suppose. And, and probably an increase in the way that um, buildings can be built. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't build concrete buildings anymore that we used to build 30 years ago. It's still still frame. So it's up quick. Mm -hmm. And if it's up quick, the developer wants his money quick. So he lets the building quick. So everybody has to move quick. Mm -hmm. um, which may be one of the reasons why people have gotten, don't have time to think anymore. But that's the biggest change, the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. In the BMS, obviously, we've had, as I say, DDC controllers. Now we're moving into smart apps and into cloud and into energy management and, and, and automatic controls. I mean, I actually think that BMS was the wrong name. About 35 years ago when BMSs or automatic controls companies decided to change their name, became BMS people, they weren't actually doing building management. They were just still doing automatic controls for HVAC, but they called themselves BMS people. And a lot of a lot of engineers, a lot of people outside the industry assume they were now managing buildings. Well, they weren't, were they? And they, it's only even now today that only begin to scratch the surface of managing buildings. So they're beginning to change them, beginning to become what they were called. Yeah, sure. So we're now moving into energy management, asset management, people management, mm -hmm. these things that do manage buildings. So it's only now that in my view, a BMS person is actually beginning to become BMS. And it's really, it's, it's very true. And it's, as you said, and, and the, the systems and the BMS um, services, they, you know, they, they reach out to every part of the building, every part of the system, but they also reach out to every part of the management of the building. Um, so, you know, you're right, asset management, facilities management, uh, people management, and the people management is a really interesting piece because you know, there's all sorts of statistics now that talk around businesses are really the, the, the motives and the drivers around businesses to in the way that they, they choose to design and operate their buildings is very much becoming led by how they want to manage their people and around the well-being and the whole healthcare angle as well, which is which is really quite interesting. So um Yeah, yeah there's a there is a challenge. The challenge of smart buildings. I mean there's no doubt about it, smart buildings are, are beginning to come the thing. We're, 
Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but definitely going to come. But it's got its own challenges. So first of all, what is a smart building? You know, nobody really has got a name for that yet. There's, it breaks into two fields as far as I can see. You've got smart building intelligent people and you've got smart management of offices. Mm -hmm. So you've got building management, you've got um, room monitoring systems, visitor systems, guidance systems, wayfinding, that's one smart. And the other smart is the, is the HVAC services. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're more interested in and more we can do with. So we can start getting smart about managing plant integrating it into um, computerized facilities management systems, something which we've spoken about for years, but never really done. Sure. Um, energy management, okay, we have energy monitoring, but nobody actually really does very much with it. There are a few enlightened companies that do, but most people just gather energy because it says in part L, that's what you have to do. Yeah. The building regs say do it, so you do it, but I don't think anybody really manages it. And people don't manage it because when the BMS contract's finished and the building is finished, everybody washes their hands of it and the contractors go off and start the next job. And any expertise that you've all got goes somewhere else. Yeah. And you end up with a group of facilities management team who are firefighting the fact that the toilets don't flush or there's not enough coffee or somebody's hot. They're not interested in the time to energy manage. So, all those sort of things, things that we put in place, are not ever being used. Sure, sure. Now, if you can get them out and get them into the cloud and get third parties to manage smart buildings for other people, then that'll be good. Yeah, sure. But you've got to pay for it. Absolutely. And people won't pay for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, a developer doesn't want to pay for it because he's only going to build a building and sell it on. Somebody who's an end user might build this building, and then he's faced with five tenants who don't want to smile. So now you, you know, you've got this conflict of, I want to give you a smart environment, but you want to use your particular controls contractor for your floor because you've got a worldwide agreement with them. Sure, sure. And what well, can we integrate it? Well, yeah, I wish you could, but it's not that easy, is it? So this smart thing is going to have to be looked upon quite carefully about mm, mm. who is smart, who's running it, and who's going to manage it. Sure, sure. And, and, and I think, you know, as you said um, earlier on, and it's about understanding what smart is, because it means different things to many different people. It really does. Um, well, it's no more than we should have been doing anyway, though. It, precisely. Absolutely. <laughs> we should have been smart all along. Yeah. And in, in, in one of our previous Disruptor series, um, Daryl from Trends, said something that was quite interesting. Uh, we were talking about the smart and intelligent building kind of progression. And he made a key point, which, which very much ties with what you just said there. He said, well, if we can't get the basics right, we really need to let go of the smart vision. You know, if we can't integrate lighting and HVAC control, then why are we trying to integrate room booking and cloud and IoT? It's like, hang on a minute, <laughs> we can get the basics right first before we start following that tree. That's right. I completely agree. So, um, no, it's very interesting, very interesting. Um, so I think the industry, in many ways, certainly from where we're sitting and what we see when we get to the end of a project, seems to suffer the same issues again and again and again. Yet, when we talk about BMS as an industry, it's not, it's, it's, it's a youngish industry, but it's not new by any stretch of imagination. We've been doing this for decades, right? So what, what do you think, what, why do you think we, we continue to see the same problems on each of these jobs? Why are we not learning the lessons that we need to then put in place the corrective measures to make sure that the next job 
goes better than the previous one. Okay. So problems you see at the end of the jobs are generally jobs that are not finished. That's not my problem. Um, other other problems of technical expertise. Do they really fail at the end of the job? I think I think technical issues are solved. So most of the jobs at the end of the jobs, when they don't work, are because of some failing of communication somewhere on the line. A boiler's turned up with four terminals and you're expecting five. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or a pump has turned up with senseless controls and you're expecting to control it. Now that's just to do with communication mm -hmm. and, and workshops and, and things that never go on. But so again, it's back to the basics, isn't it? It's talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the... You, all these jobs, all these... Things can be solved, but the challenge you face is that there is a date called practical completion. And at practical completion, everybody wants the job to be complete because they want their money. Now, a lot of things you can't complete in a BMS until after practical completion. Right? So you can't complete loop tuning. You can't complete uh, the operation of the plant. You can't make sure everything's working together because you haven't had the time. And that can only take place afterwards. Unfortunately, at PC, you get this issue and everybody finishes and everybody goes. And so you're left with these myriad of problems that you can't solve. Mm -hmm. So you go to the next job and somebody says, oh, the last job, they never got that finished. Well, they didn't get it finished. No, they didn't get it finished. And everyone knows they didn't get it finished because they weren't given the time. Sure, sure. So you've got this issue, you need something you need after commissioning, soft landings, call it whatever you want. I did, I did have one job one time many years ago where they had a separate contract for commissioning. And it was a really good idea. So we built the whole building and then we were going to commission it afterwards. Everything, water, oh, air, yeah. electrics, the whole lot. That was, that was the plan. The failing was this consultant was a European consultant and the job was being built in the UK. And the UK management side could not grasp this idea that you did commissioning afterwards. So the job had to be finished. But it was a real shame because it, it, it really was an idea was to do commissioning as a completely separate package afterwards. There was a risk maybe that he'd find something, but that was sort of the way it was. But And there was a completely separate lump of money to do it. But it got taken away. Mm. And you still got this challenge today. Unless you can... At the day of completion, practical completion, somebody wants their money and somebody needs to be able to justify that they can pay their money. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a BMS that isn't complete, then there's an excuse for lots of people to say, well, we haven't got the pay in. Sure. But we know we can't finish on time because we've not had the time, we've not had the, 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 the wherewithal beforehand, we've not had the, the right information. So it's tricky yeah. finishing a job. And because the BMS is always at the end, you can't get any more time. So would you agree that it's not, perhaps people should stop looking so much at the, and I think probably you would agree, um, but would you say that people should stop looking so much at the, the technology and the products and the systems and we should start looking more at the processes involved? And that you talk about communication a lot. Well, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Okay, you, you, as I go back to earlier on, people need to talk to each other mm. and people need to admit that they're wrong mm. and can, can make changes. Because technology, it's, e it's easy, isn't it? I mean, you can control a boiler, you can control a chiller. You know, if I go to a software test, I'm not really interested in can you make a valve go up and down if it's hot or cold, because I expect you to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm more bothered about 
what happens if the sensor fails? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happens if I throw an outside air temperature 14 at the same time as I've got a frost condition? Or they're, they're the more complicated things. And unless you do those things, you're never going to get a job finished. Sure. So you need to communicate. Now, if a, if a contractor says, I'm going to buy a particular boiler that's slightly different to the one he's bought, that's specified, well, a, a bit of give and take, you can make these things work. But there are specifications and there are people who will pick a piece of paper up and want to go down line by line and say, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. Well, that's no good for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we all need to work together. We just normal human beings in normal human life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we make mistakes, we've got ideas. Yeah, we sure, we, we sure. change our mind. Because I, I have projects sometimes where they say to me, can I go and have a look at this project? Well, I don't know anything about the job. So how can I in four hours work out whether a job's right or wrong? So I just turn up with a set of key deliverables. Mm-hmm. You know, Even simple things like, is the plant room clean and tidy? Because if it is clean and tidy, then I've got a fair... A good idea that care's been taken. Mm, yeah. If I go into the offices and I, and I can see sensors in reasonable location, I think, well, some thought being put into it. Running the plant, well, I know you can make the plant work because that's what you do. But it's more, do I feel the job is right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's how you. That's how you got to look at a job. And if you take that to a, to a job and said, well, I've turned up. Do I feel this job's right? The chances are it's going to be right. Mm-hmm. There will be underlying things. There will be things wrong with it, but nobody's going to criticise that. No, sure. So you've got to be much more flexible about when it comes to giving practical completion or or snagging or or criticising. You've got to be flexible, and some people can't be flexible. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and maybe they're not flexible because they don't understand it. I don't think that's true because it's not complex. I'm not asking someone to understand software. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just asking to say, does the building do what I think it should do? Sure. And if it does, move on. And I think there's so many, throughout that entire process, we think about how many different areas of speciality and expertise are required to build a building. You know, there's so many different individuals and organisations involved in that process. And everyone's kind of doing their own bit and very protective of their own bit because they've got a business run. They've got to make money. I understand that. Um, but when you, when you end up in that kind of siloed approach to trying to deliver a project, it, it becomes very difficult to, to end up in that scenario where we're talking about open communication and making sure that people are collaborating. You know, ideally, you would want everybody involved in that end-to-end process, even the people that are going to be managing the building moving forward, to be sitting around the table at day one. That's the ideal scenario, not, you know, the client and the architect and a consultant, and then later on, a specialist BMS guy like yourself or, or an integrator gets involved, and then an AV company, and then a... Emily, you know, that's the issue. And so then it's kind of done in a fragmented way and everyone's going, oh shit, you know, cut that bit out. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got to get my bit done and quite frankly, I couldn't care less if he's doing a good job because I just need to get that done. Well, actually, the success of your bit relies on the success of his bit as well. We've, we've got to start opening our eyes and realise that we're all in it together. And if we all do a good job together, then we all win rather than everyone fighting and he's won and he's lost and he's lost and then the project's a disaster and then ultimately he loses anyway because he's called back by the client and said, well, you're not going to build my next building because it's a rubbish building. Yeah, you, the, the danger is you can't have everybody involved all the time. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> no <that's laughs> right. There are, you know, let's, let's have a committee of 48 people. No, that's right. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And after all, yeah, it's against the beginning. The, the, the developer decides to build a building. Now, why does he decide to build a building? I'm not sure he's got money in the bank. He wants to make a profit. I don't know. So he, he decides to build a building. 
He's got to have some idea of a cost, for instance, at that point in time. Now, there's no point in getting a BMS person involved or, or an AV person or a pipework person. He just needs to go to a, a group of people, professionals, he's called quantity surveyors, who say to him, well, this building is going to cost you £185 million, of which £100 million is your services. Now, he's got no idea in that £100 million how much the BMS is or how much the controls are or how much the lighting is. It's just £100 million. Mm. And then as you go on, you can develop this, and then you'll get this, well, it's too expensive, and value engineering, and all these sorts of things. And then you can bring everybody in, but you can't have everybody all at the same time, because you'll never solve everything. On the other hand, as a building services engineers, perhaps they need to be not frightened of BMSs. There's still this fear, somehow, that BMS is a black box. It is not a black box. It is not, they just need to, to realise it is simple. If only they can write down a piece of paper how they wanted their handling plant to work. That's all a controls person needs to know. Yeah, yeah. From then on, they can forget it. But asking some BM, some, some um, consultants to write a piece of paper how an air handling plant is supposed to work, they can't write it down. Some of them can't even draw a psychometric chart, which is a bit concerning. But that's all you need. You just need them to write down four lines on a piece of paper. This air handling plant is a constant volume, variable temperature system. That's all they've got to write. Mm -hmm. Let the people like you and I in add the meat to the bones. What happens if this fails? What happens if that fails? This is how an optimizer is going to work. We'll add those details in. So people just need to put the small bits in and then people add the meat onto the bones. Mm -hmm. But some people aren't even incapable of putting the small bits on. Sure. And then there's this sort of, um, well, you're the expert BMS people. Can't you control the plot? And so you ask the question about, well, what should I do? You're the designer. I don't even understand what you want to tell me. Sure. And then, and me, you've got a conflict. With one saying you're the expert, the other saying I don't understand. Yeah. And, and unless you can break those sort of cycles, you, you don't move forward. Absolutely. But just getting simple words out of simple people is not easy. You think it, isn't it? You think you could say, how does, it, how does this fan coil work? You know, and then you go to the other extreme and you get a pressurisation unit that's got Modbus on it. And what do you want Modbus on a pressurisation unit for? But the, the good man from the pressurisation people has got into the contractor and he sold this great idea of Modbus. So he puts it in his mechanical spec and I, and I can't work in out what he wants it for. I've got a high pressure, a low pressure, and a common fault. Why do I want mob bus? Why do I want complicated? I can't even make my simple fan coil work. And now I've got a, what used to be an F&E tank has now ended up being a complicated mob bus bit of kit. Sure, sure. So you've got all these influences on, on contractors and consultants. You've got the client saying save money, the client saying I want everything, but don't send me more money. The mechanical tractor trying to get his favourite people involved in it. We're on the outside trying to get a piece of the action. Mm. No wonder the jobs are complicated. Yeah, sure, sure. You know. <laughs> but we've done a lot of jobs over the years. And in essence, most of them worked. Sure, sure. Yeah, there'd be some problems at the end. Nothing but enough. nothing serious, is there? No, sure. You know, how many people have died because the BMS didn't work properly? You know. <laughs> You know, you go back to the days of the of, of the millennium. Crikey, you thought the world was going to win. 1999 to 2000, my word, there were people rushing around the country making oodles of money, changing chips, but 
well, what's going to happen the next day? What, what could be the worst that could happen? Sure. The heating wouldn't come on. Yeah, yeah. But everybody got completely bamboozled by it. And those things are still in the BMS systems. And I can guarantee you, you'll probably find a BMS spec still that says, make sure your BMS is 2000 compliant. So that leads me nicely onto my next question. So in a previous Disruptor episode, we were talking to James Palmer of North Controls and we asked him, what do you see as the biggest challenges we face in industry? And his words were, copy and paste specifications. So you, do, you can write specifications in two ways. You could write a whole job, you could write a whole job specification on a piece of paper. Please build me 100,000 square feet of office block to, for general office staff. And I want a room temperature of 21 degrees C, and that's what I want. And get on a building. So that's one way of writing it. The other way of writing it is you end up with thousands and thousands of pages of, of paperwork that nobody ever reads. <laughs> so somewhere between the two is, is where you write specification. Now the easy thing to do apparently is to copy and paste. But people, who often reads a specification? I don't know people who read specifications. You know, most people don't. Most contractors get a big pile of specifications. They used to get CDs, they used to get papers, they CDs, now they get a web link. And on that web link are about 5,000 documents of which they can't even work out what they are because it's just got a number, it doesn't say what it is. So you have to open up every document, spend a lot of time, a lot of money. And when you find the document, you don't understand it. And then you just look at the job and you say, well, it's an office block. The last one I did was like, 200,000 pounds. So this one must be 200,000 pounds. And, and almost, I'm going to be disrespectful of signing here to contractors, but almost you've got to have some way of benchmarking a cost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a big job, or I don't like this contractor, or I know it's hard work. And that's how you do it. So the person writing the specification, they get away with it because nobody reads it. And they only read it at the end when there's a problem. So it becomes a problem on the job, whether it's the controls or the boilers, it doesn't matter what it is. So the next job that goes out, you can be sure that there'll be a big paragraph about the problem and making sure it doesn't happen again. But that problem won't happen again anyway. There'll be something else. So cutting and pasting specifications is easy for a contractor, or for a consultant. They, I obviously work for myself, so I charge money to consultants. And I try to get business from consultants, and their view to me is, well, really interesting, really good idea, but I can get it for free. I can go to a, a controls company and they'll give me a free specification. So I say, well, that's fine, but then you'll, you'll be using their specification and their job. And, and they go, yeah, but that's fine because I haven't got a problem, have I? I've, I've mitigated my risk. I've got rid of it. I've given it to the, I've, I've given it to the BMS contractor. He's written the specification. He's put it in. I'll sign it off. So what risk have I got? I've moved away from my risk. So then you ask him questions like, well, that means you're tied into this contractor. And supposing somebody, supposing the main contractor decides to use somebody else because they haven't got to use what you tell him. Now what do you do? Now you're faced with a problem of you've got a specification written that you don't actually understand because you didn't write it. So when the third party comes along and asks you a question about it, now what do you do? Their, their general answer is, 
the tech time goes back, status A to be confirmed as written in the specification. So, so they don't want to get involved. It's easy for them to pass the, the, the responsibility and the remit to somebody mm -hmm. else. And so they write a specification. If they're going to write a specification properly or to the best, then they've got to spend time and money. And they don't want to spend time and money. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time and money to spend. So it's really hard. Sure. Um, you know, I've got two or three consultants, the contracts I work for, and perhaps, I, perhaps they're enlightened. Perhaps they realise the benefit of what of paying someone to write a specification for them. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to get other people to do it. Sure, yeah, it is. And it's easy for them just to cut and paste. Absolutely. And and until well, I don't think anything's ever gonna go wrong. People are never gonna change cut and paste. Why should they? Because it's easy. And and, and as people go up through the industry, through their company, the junior sees the senior cutting and pasting, so he just does it. I guess when we get around to the year two thousand nine hundred ninety nine, at least we'll be protected Maybe, from the yeah. change to the year two thousand one. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> probably. So I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the most important things in our industry, particularly with the sort of progression and development of technology and systems and, and what and what have you, is education. But my question is, you know, the more of these discussions and, and uh, episodes that we do, um, the more I keep thinking to myself, who is it? Sh who who should we be educating? Should we be educating the client? So if we give the client more knowledge about the systems and what the systems can do and potentially then to help them to understand what they want, is that going to help them to manage their supply chain? Should we be educating the consultants more? Right? No, what do you think? Everybody probably needs educating, but do they really need educating? I don't know. The, the, the client doesn't need, the client just wants a building bill. So he's not too concerned about the detail. He employs specialists to do his detail. So, he doesn't want to know too much about his detail. If he's going to run the building, he might be more interested in how am I going to run my building, what information do I need to run my building, and how can I make that more efficient. But he's not too bothered about it because he's got his £185 million building. He doesn't really mind too much how many hours he spends. The consultant, educate the consultant, yeah, it could do. Just feed a bit more information to him. Get him to provide simple rules, just simple ideas about how his plan is to work. That's all you need from him. The main contractor, that's tricky, because the main contractor is a big player. Mm. He's a big player. He's got a lot of cash flowing through his company. Could well be bigger than the developer. You know? So he's got a lot of cash. Now he's got a lot of influence. And he will have five or ten companies on some sort of framework with him, some sort of partnership with him. But he still wants to deliver a profit and his shareholders still want a profit. And so you can try and educate him a bit. And then you come down the line to all these other people, the mechanical contractor. But truly in the end, why do we need to educate them? Because who wants an easier life? It's not that difficult. We know it's frustrating. We know it's tricky, but it's not difficult. And we only want education if things go badly wrong and people don't go back if badly wrong. Nobody ever goes back to a job. Very few consultants and very few. The only person who goes back to a job is the contractor and he gets called back that he's failed. The consultant never goes back to find out the goods or the bads. The main contractor never goes back. He said to paint the walls he forgot to paint. 
and the, and the build and, and the developers sold it anyway. Mm -hmm. So you've got this issue of, of, of when the job is finished, who wants to know about it? And there have been issues, but nobody wants to know. And if you could influence people to be more friendly, that would be to solve most problems. <laughs> take, take away the conflict. I don't think you need to, ed you don't need to educate people about how a boil works or a chiller works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, take, just, just get people to be a bit more open about yeah. things. And then life would be easier. Mm. We, we, you know, we don't get up in the morning wanting to have an argument. Mm. But there is just some people in this world who are like that. That's very true. <laughs> true. Okay, so coming back more specifically then to products and the, and the technology itself, when we talk about BMS or AV automation, whatever, for me, it's all bundled into the same thing anyway. You mentioned earlier, um, you know, now we're seeing things like cloud and all this sort of stuff, and IoT, I'm hearing all these lovely terms. What, what, what's, what do you see as the outlook for the industry from a product's perspective, given that we've now got this kind of huge reliance on data and cloud and IoT? Okay, right. I'm sure we'll, we'll end up smart, we'll end up IoT, we'll end up in the cloud. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's a good question. Who knows what it means? I've got no idea what it means. I think it just means that your, your controller, is, you've still got a controller, but the information is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you're going to end up with a controller in the cloud, or perhaps you won't. Perhaps you're just going to send sensor values and valve values to the cloud and it come back. Maybe. Um, you become quite reliant upon the cloud at that point of time. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we still write specification with the hardwired interlock for a pressurisation unit. Mm -hmm. So are we going to be brave enough to drop all that and just assume it's in the cloud. Um, every day people use the internet, every day people use apps. So they're, they're becoming much more comfortable. Um, but the day your internet drops out, people panic. Mm -hmm. I can't get I can't get my bank account, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't so perhaps if my you know, if my internet drops out, how do I control my building? So mm -hmm. controls disappearing from a building to a cloud, probably not. I think you'll still have controls in the building. Uh, what will be up in the cloud is all the data, mm -hmm. all the analytical data, um, and perhaps access for third-party um, specialists, which we've always had. You know, we've had remote bureaus for donkey's years. Mm -hmm. um, not sure people really realise they're remote bureaus. Lots of, there's still this sort of mystique about, well, should we connect it to the internet, or should we connect, have, a, have a dial in line or something? You think, well, we've been doing it for, 25 years or 30 years mm -hmm. and, and now suddenly it's all become difficult um, but it'll, it'll end up some sort of cloud-based control system possibly mm -hmm. whether that cloud is somewhere else I mean that cloud could still be within the building it could sure. still be a virtual machine living within the building so at Gatwick Airport for instance we've got virtual control systems but they're in the building they're, in, they're, they're within the Gatwick environment they're not held in California or somewhere. But I think most of it will just be the, uh, the the analytical data. The controls are still be there mm. because you eventually you still need that controller to control the local air handling plant. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a packaged air handling plant with a package control on it or, or a, a bolt controller that controls it. And I, don't, I don't think it'll end up all remote mm. because it, it needs to be managed and and somebody wants to sell it, you know, you've got a box, and in this box is all my building. I can't sell it if something's over there. Sure. So I'm going to buy. Yeah, I'm going to buy this box. Otherwise, you've been. It's a bit like these these third party um, building um, metering specialists. 
who would take the metering off site and somehow magically give you back data. Well, they're outside, they're outside your environment. BMS could do just what the service they're doing, but you've taken this package of tenant billing, energy management, and given it to a third party somewhere else. So when you sell your building, you're selling something somewhere else as well, mm -hmm. which maybe somebody doesn't want to buy, but they might have to buy it because you're sort of tied into this yeah, thing. Yeah, sure, sure. Have you got Amazon Alexa? No. Why not? <laughs> Do I trust it yet? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I bought my Samsung TV about five or six years ago with the hand touch and the, the talking to it, I didn't think anything of it. And then later on, I thought, well, how does it all work? And then I realised, of course, it must be after California. So am I comfortable about having somebody listening to my conversations? Mm. Probably not at the moment. Um, you know, that's sort of one of the problems with smart, isn't it? Mm -hmm. that everybody sort of, everybody knows where everybody is. And do, does it, people want to know where everybody is? I don't know. Sure. It, it's a, maybe I'm of an age, I don't want people to know, but maybe a 25-year-old doesn't care. Mm. Or an 18-year-old just does it anyway. So right. maybe, yeah. maybe in 10 or 15 years' time, all the generation have disappeared, the young ones have come along, sure. and they'll just take it on board. Yeah. I think um, I wrote a blog about that that subject on how old way of thinking and old uh, practices almost hold people back from moving forward. Mm. And millennials are actually going to come out, they don't know any different, so they're just going to embrace what's around them mm. and excel past people on site with who are, you know, saying, oh, we've still got to do it this way, and they'll just take their job, mm. and, and quite rightly. Yes. They're, they're, they're literally embracing and moving mm. forward much faster, efficient. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'm, I'm really interested to see over the next 10 years how, what happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out on site. Oh, it will do. It'll take over. And, and the fact that it's not really attractive to be a, a BMS engineer when you've got YouTubers and, and people doing so these glamorous <laughs> style. Yeah. You know, what is going to happen to yeah. this industry? Is there going to be a massive lack of, of, of workforce? Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I think there will be. But I also think that you know, when you look at how rapidly the smart home technology is progressing, you know, being driven by powerhouses like Amazon and companies like that, you've got systems that self configure You've got systems that are self-integrated. Yes. All the all the API cloud integration is done by the manufacturers. You just stick it in and you just go to an app and you go integrate that and it goes and it's done. And so in a way, elements of that will will potentially de-skill the engineering expertise. To, you know, we're talking some a long way down the road. You know, um, but we are going to start seeing these changes coming in quite rapidly. And I think, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, that's that, that, that's an interesting thought. Okay, so. You've got packaged controllers, for instance. Okay, so similar idea. There's, I'll go and buy an app called a air and plant controller. I'll go and buy an app called a boiler controller or a chiller controller, which is great. And there is an argument that says the app for the chiller controller is perfect because it's written by the chiller man. So good idea. The uh, control system app for the air handling plant is perfect because it's written by the air handling plant man who knows much more about his air handling plant than some controls engineer. That's fine. Unfortunately, there's only, within the, within the big organisation of, of a chiller manufacturer or an air handling plant manufacturer, lots of people know about air handling plants, but there's only three blokes know about the control system. And you want those blokes on your site. Now, not tomorrow, not next week, now. Now, this late chap can come, you, you could be faced with a situation 
of the control, you can't get to work. Mm. So what does the what does the main contractor do? He turns to his BMS man and says, "His controls go and sort it out." And you're going to have to sort it out because nobody else is going to do it. So you've got these small groups of people who who are being pulled all over the country doing these package control systems, but not to your job. They've gone somewhere else. Mm. Now you know, as a BMS. You know, contractor, you make your money through bulk buying of valves and bulk buying of controllers and things. So some profit is in that and some profit is in your engineering. But if someone takes away from you that bulk bulk valves, actuators, controllers, rear hand implants, where does your profit start to come from? Mm. You start to become like a consultant and all you're doing is selling expertise. And expertise is expensive. Mm. And expertise to a third party or to a contractor is like, well, why am I paying money for expertise, I can get that from your hand implant for free. Be like me trying to sell specifications to people. Why am I paying a person like a specification when I can get for free? And what happened, what's gonna happen is that all these jobs are suddenly gonna just grow into a halt because there are nobody available to do it. Mm. So you've got people who might be the right apps and join them all together, but there might be 5,000 of them working in California, I don't know, but there's 50 million people in the UK. You know, there's not enough to support us. So some people will make massive amount of money because they'll they'll be the right person at the right time, but everybody else is going to suffer. Yeah. So if we're not careful, we're going to end up in this technology age of brilliance, but reliant upon very few people. Sure. And down the bottom here, everybody else doesn't know what to do anymore. We, we, so we might, we'll be, we could be going back to basics of, let's put a thermostatic rad valve on. Why do I need, why do I need my control system that talks to Honeywell via America to, to my valve up? Can't I just put a thermostatic rad valve on and make it work properly? That's, that, that's what worries me. It's really yeah. interesting. That, that's no, what worries yeah, me. I, I, mean, I mean, you say about people losing skills. I mean, you're, you're right, but ever since I've been working, people are using skills. Sure. You know, we've had skill shortages and... Apprenticeship schemes used to be apprenticeship schemes, and now they're not anymore. There are no apprentices, so they had a few apprentices last year, didn't they? They all died of death. So this training and things like that have disappeared. Mm. Um, but we're still here, fifty years later, hundred years later, still doing engineering. Sure. So it hasn't actually disappeared. It might have gone somewhere else, mm, mm, mm. but it hasn't disappeared. No, and I think you're right. Those, those core fundamentals <coughs> of engineering, when you talk about mechanical and electrical, that doesn't change. You know, the theory behind that, that doesn't change. The technology that's overlaid it to, that's responsible for controlling it, that'll change, but it's striking that balance, isn't it? And it's, um, well, go right back to what I said earlier on. If you're not careful, you've lost engineering skills. You know, how many jobs have you seen where you've looked at the pipework and you think, well, the pipework just isn't being put in correctly. Mm. Oh, I can write as many apps and control systems as you want. You can't put it right if the pipework is back to front. You know, simple things like a low loss header is yeah. so important. Sure. Simple things like having pump sets that control are so important. Oh, well, let's take the pump sets out, save money. Let's take the low loss header. We can't get the pipework in, take it out. Well, you can write as many apps as you want. Mm. You won't be able to solve it. So you can't lose this basic knowledge of Bernoulli's theory and things like that mm -hmm. just because I can write that. Sure. So you, so you don't see the, the kind of the, 
the consumer market with the smart home technology and, and, and that kind of rapid progression, which is just exploding now, you you think our industry is somewhat protected from that because of those kind of core elements and disciplines? I think it's different, completely different. In, in a home, one thing about a home is that people are spending, are quite happy to spend money for some reason. You know, they'll go out and spend five thousand pounds on a on a mixer or two thousand pounds on a mixer or something. But in an office environment, they want to save every penny. You know, they leave home in the morning and they get to an office and they and their attitude about spending money completely changes. They don't ever want to spend money. And yet when their wife says, Can I have a new mixer or can I have a new dress or can I have a new this, that or the other, it's spent, isn't it? But when you go to work, you don't. You don't want to spend money. So in your home and, and your home is sort of manageable by yourself, so your network fails. You, you're, you're a bit frustrated because my heating doesn't come on. But you talk cope with it, privately you cope with it. But if you've got a big organisation of 5,000 people in an office, and 5,000 people now can't get their heating to work, and I'm only three people in an FM team, well, what do I do? I, uh, where do I go? Perhaps I go back to simple technology. Mm -hmm. I don't think it happens very often. You know, examples of things like um, power failures in buildings. Now, years ago, we used to worry about power failures and worry about loss of power and standby generators. Well, how often do you ever hear of a power failure anymore? You know, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't happen. So people don't now put standby generators in. Okay, you, if you've got a data centre or something, your concern might be higher, but most buildings, they don't. It's a life safety generator. You don't get power failures, and and how often do they lose water pressure? You know th things like that. Those those things have improved so dramatically. Mm. You know fire systems. You know you get, you get disastrous fires occasionally, but very rarely get fires in office blocks. You got fire detection systems, sprinklers, all these sorts of things. So the good basics need to be there. Absolutely. You can stick your technology on the end of it, but unless you've got good basics, you won't. And if you're reliant upon half a dozen people, it's tricky. Sure. I think I've only got one more question. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's the last one, really. What's, what's your outlook on the future of building automation? The outlook, I think, is a tremendous growth in IoT, tremendous growth in making things packaged unfortunately i think there's going to be a much much more idea of package controllers so a bms contractor is going to have to become a real integrator now mm. you've got to realize that he's going to have to understand how these uh, um, package plant do work conversely these package plant controls are coming pretty simple they're not complicated you've got to get away from the idea of licenses so that you've got to be able to access these controllers you know the, the the supplier's got to give people access. You can't have this protection or you can't have a license. <coughs> so that's one way it's going. Whether, whether you start to go towards um, power over ethernet for controllers, I'm not sure we can do that really, but maybe that's where it's going to go. Wireless systems, I'm not sure that wireless systems are going to work all that well. I think in a building where you've got a plant room and a control panel, you might as well still stick to cables. Mm. Can't work out whether a wireless system is useful. Wireless sensors in offices are probably very useful. 
but you need a network and a mesh and all those sort of things to make it work. Um, who else is it going? Maybe the BMS contractor stops doing MCCs and power wiring and gives that to somebody else. Um, but that is bulk money, I guess. You know, that is it's easy cash, easy cash, easy profit. Um, which does pay for these things that he has to resolve that he can't cost for. <coughs> if he says to a client, well, I'm going to charge you £35,000 for understanding how your handling plants work and trying to join it all together, he gets a note, doesn't he? But if he's got that sort of money available in his, I don't know, his fan call, his fan calls, I mean, I think fan calls is something that really good that frustrates me, that a fan call is something which... Traditionally, you've always done for five hundred pound a fan core unit thereabouts, and now you're not doing it at all because they're coming from somewhere else. But in that money, you had enough cash to pay for a network and pay for some graphics and all these other things, and to get the job to work. Now suddenly, fan cores are coming from a third party with all the controllers on them, and nobody's looking after them. So, but I still think it's going to be packaged. I'm sure that it's going to be packaged because it's, it, you can buy the controller on the package bit of kit, apparently cheaper than you can buy a separate control system. So BMS companies are going to really going to become integrators, smart integrators, got to move into that market, move into energy management, tenant billing, all these things. That, smart peripheral things of the building that's where you're going to have to go mm. and traditional things you're going to have to forget about because a mechanical contractor can buy it apparently cheaper mm. thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by gemco intelligent buildings group you can find more information about us on our website at gemcoibg.com or all social media platforms <laughs>